So in Luke 12, in our study, we come now to verses 35 through 48. We started a few months ago, maybe last year even, in Luke 1, chapter 1. And we are now in Luke 12, and we'll continue to make our way through the Gospel of Luke and look at the applications and, and the things that we learn. But we now come to the place where Jesus gives the largest section, except for Matthew 25, on being ready. It's a, it's a rather large text where he says, get ready and stay ready because you don't know when the Son of Man is going to come. We just don't know. It's, he's going to come at an unexpected time. If, if we knew what time he was coming, we could get ready quickly, right? Like you got the dinner plans at 6 and you start getting ready at 5.30. Takes 15 minutes to get there. You, just last minute, ah! And you're running like crazy. If we knew when Jesus was coming back, a lot of us would be like that. We'd be like, oh my goodness, look what time it is. I got to get ready. But Jesus says, you got to be ready and you got to stay ready. And I want to read, there's, this is a passage from the middle of our text, Luke 12, verse 40, which says, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's interesting when we think about the return of Jesus, we often think about things being apocalyptic, right? Helicopters and smoke and dark and Jesus is coming back. But the Bible says that it's going to be like the days of Noah. Men were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage. And then the day Noah went into the ark, which was a supernatural event because God closed the door and then destruction came upon them and they were lifted above the destruction. And then he says, and it will also, the son of man will come like it is in the days of Noah. They were, I mean, in the days of Lot, they were buying and they were selling and they were, it gives a list of all the things they were doing there in Luke 17. And then it says, until, and this is supernatural as well, angels come and take him, take Lot and his, his family with him out of the city and then total destruction comes. The day they're taken out of the city, total destruction comes. So Jesus comes at a time we don't expect. It's not in the, in the end of the tribulation period or the middle of the tribulation period because we would expect it. We'd be like, the, the abomination of desolation just happened. Jesus is coming back. Or he better come back tomorrow because there's no more flesh on the earth. There's, people are rare on the earth. So he's coming at a time we don't expect it, which means that he could come back today. He could come back later on today. This is what we call the imminent return of Jesus, that he could return at any moment. By the way, church history, this has been taught throughout church history, that Jesus could come back at any moment. It's not anything new. You read what Jesus says here today, there's no other, you can't get anything else out of it. I, I say that, but you'd be surprised what people can get out of things. So this is strong evidence, and I would like to consider two things quickly. I'd like to consider the tribulation period first. This is the 70th week of Daniel. In the context of seven weeks of years, not only in, in the law, there was not only a, a seven-day week with a, with a Sabbath day, but there was also a seven-week year with a Sabbath year. And they were kept in captivity in Babylon for 70 years because they had not given the land that Sabbath day for 490 years. So they were kept there for 70 years. And while, while Daniel is there, he starts to think about that. He starts to think, we're, we're going to go pretty soon back into the land because the 70 years is almost done. And he sees another vision where an angel tells him there are 70 sevens. This is the context of the week of years, 490 years to make an end to sin, to finish up iniquity, to restore Israel 
to take care of the city of Jerusalem. And then the Messiah is cut off in 483 years or 69 sevens. You don't have to follow me completely on this if you've never looked into it before. You can take time later on to look it up. It's an amazing prophecy there in Daniel chapter 9. But the Messiah is cut off, but it says not for himself. And then there's the final seven, the final seven years. And in the middle of that final seven years, the Antichrist does the abomination of desolation. He goes into the temple in, in Revelation and he sets up his, his image and he demands that people worship him. And if you don't give allegiance to him, then you have to, um, you can't buy or sell anything. They're going to control your money. They, you can't buy or sell anything. And that's the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is not the vaccine, all right? Because I'm just getting that question so often. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast, all right? Just so you know. You are not going to take the mark of the beast by accident. You are going to pledge allegiance to him so that you can continue to buy and sell. So if they want to give you a vaccine saying you can't buy and sell anything unless you get a vaccine and you've got to pledge allegiance to this world leader, then you can go, that's the vaccine. Otherwise, stop it. All right. There's my, you know, soapbox for the day. All right. Um, so let's consider the tribulation period. What is this tribulation period like? Is like? Listen to what Jesus said about it. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, for there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, the days were shortened. The elect's sake here is the nation of Israel. When you study prophecy, you find Israel in the, in the tribulation period over and over again, but you never find the church. Israel's there, the church isn't there because the church has been taken out. But I want you to notice it says that during the days that they're shortened, otherwise no flesh would be saved. In other words, God moves up the timetable for returning because we are going to destroy ourselves. No flesh would be here on the earth. Now, I, I guess I'm assuming something because it could be that a meteor would hit the earth and, and wipe out all life on the earth, right? The days have to be shortened because no flesh would be saved. But I kind of think it's us. I kind of think maybe it's war where we destroy all, all, all people on the earth. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's biological warfare. Kind of fits with what's going on today and, and what possibly could be the beginning of, these, of this virus that's plaguing the earth today. It, it could be... Uh, global warming's been going on for 50,000 years. But global warming's been going on since the Ice Age. The polar caps melted, the water level went up, and it's been going on. Is man increasing that global warming? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But could it be that we do destroy ourselves to where this planet is unlivable for us? And so God's like, I have to, I have to move it up. God wants to wait as long as he can because he desires that all people would be saved, 2 Timothy tells us. God's not slack concerning his promises, but desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And to God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So God would like to see it happen, but... He's got to move those days up. God's long-suffering. Before the flood, there was a guy by the name of Enoch. Enoch was a prophet. He had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah literally means when he dies, it will take place. That's what Methuselah is. That's why it's such a long name. When he dies, it will take place. If you go and you map, and you can do this on your own, I would encourage you to do it. Go and map 
from Adam and his days he lives and when he had Seth and the days he lives and just kind of go along and you're going to get to the day of Noah. You're going to get to 500 years when the flood came of Noah's life and then you're going to go down and you're going to see that Methuselah died in the year of the flood. So God has a prophet named his son. When he dies, it will take place. He dies in the day of the flood and he happens to be the longest man who ever lived. No one on the earth lived longer because our God is so long suffering and gracious. I'm persuaded that if you saw what was happening in the world today, let's just say you're God. Heaven forbid, but let's just say you are. And you see all of the things that are happening today around the world. Do you know that worldwide, child abuse is at an all-time high? We're talking sexual and other kind of abuse. And, and, and sexual abuse is off the charts of children. We're, we're living in a world where predators are hiding and, and where it's happening and the kidnappings, the, all these things are just, if you saw the things that are happening in the world today, I think you'd be like, I'm going now. I'm not letting this go on for another day. If you could really see all the things that are going on. But God is so long suffering that he's going to wait until the last minute because he wants to see more people saved. He wants to have more people in heaven. That's the tremendous love of our God. Now, listen to a couple of things the Bible says about the tribulation period. I just want to read a couple passages to you and you're going to get an idea of what the tribulation period is like. In Isaiah 26, verses 20 and 21, it says, Come, my people, enter into your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. God comes out of his place, punishes earth dwellers for their sin. The earth will also disclose her dead and will no more cover her slain. So many people are going to die during this day of wrath, of God's wrath, that they're not going to bury the dead anymore. It won't be practical. There are billions of people on the planet Earth. So many people are going to die throughout the tribulation period that by the end of it, they, they aren't even burying their dead. You're not even going to funerals because they're not burying them. They just get them out of the way because so many people are dying. Listen to what it says in Zephaniah 1, 15 through 17. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm, against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I think of all the skyscrapers around the world that during the tribulation period will come tumbling down. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. The blood shall be poured out like dust and the flesh like refuge. Again, it's garbage. Flesh will become garbage. It's not buried. It will become garbage. That's Zephaniah. Let me talk about a few things that happened during the tribulation period just to give you an idea what it's like. First of all, flesh becomes rare. We saw Jesus talk about that. Also, meteors hit the earth and the ocean and kills a third of the sea life and a third of mankind. I think it's a third. There are, um, the sun torches the earth. So wind stops blowing on the earth and the sun beats on the earth. At the same time, the water of the earth is contaminated. Any one of those scenarios would be bad by themselves. To have the sun scorching the earth or to have water be contaminated, but to have the sun scorch the earth and water be contaminated at the same time reveals, well, just the horribleness of this time. There's a huge earthquake. There's a world quake. I don't know how else to describe it. The whole world shakes. It's not just a fault line giving way. It's the world shaking. 
Some believe that it goes off its axis, that the world shifts axis and it just causes the whole world to have this earthquake that is just completely hideous. But there's something else that happens. There's also a heaven quake. The stars, the moon shake. It's one thing if you are on the earth and the earth beneath you starts to shake and you think, well, we are destroying our earth and here it is. This is a global event. It's another thing when you're on a telescope looking out at Jupiter and it has an earthquake or a gas quake or whatever Jupiter's made out of and the moon shakes and stars explode and you realize this isn't the earth. This is our universe that is coming unwound. How terrifying during the tribulation it will be to realize this isn't something the earth's just going to get through, but our whole universe is being destroyed. There's persecution. There's war. I had my um, middle son come over on Friday and um, we were talking a little bit and he said, Dad, did you know the Euphrates River is, is drying up? Isn't there something in the Bible about that? And I was like, the Euphrates River's drying up? Show me. So he pulled up an article. Sure enough, the Euphrates River is drying up. And if you know prophecy, it says the Euphrates River is going to dry up, allowing a 200 million man army to come from the east over to the Valley of Jehoshaphat in Israel for the Battle of Armageddon. So it's all, it's all coming together. There's war, there's desolation, there's inflation during the tribulation period. The world becomes rich during the tribulation period. You say, well, that's the only good thing that you've said the whole time. Yeah, but then the world becomes poor. The world gets rich off Mystery Babylon and then the Mystery Babylon's destroyed and the whole world's like, oh, we were so rich and now they're not rich anymore. The tribulation period is a time where there is total despair and distress and, and barely anyone makes it through it. There's not only the, the destruction the Antichrist causes, but there's God judging this earth and, and shaking this world. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come back for us before that tribulation period. I say that with confidence. We, God's not mad at us, the church. He's not angry with you. God's not going to pour his wrath down upon you. I'm not saying that you're not going to have trouble and difficulties and hardship. People say, you just want to escape because you don't want difficulties and hardship. No, the world's going to cause problems. Satan could cause difficulties. We understand that. We know that. But I'm not going to face God's wrath because God's not angry with me. I'm not an earth dweller. Ephesians says that we are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this earth. Did you know that? We are not earth dwellers. We don't belong here. That's why we look at the world and go, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand it. We're citizens of heaven. We're not earth dwellers. And he comes and judges those that dwell on the earth. And so Jesus said, I'm going away to his disciples. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you can be also. This is the rapture of the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die. But some of us are going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. This mortal is going to put on immortality. And we have a promise in Revelation 3.10 that says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, this is to the faithful church of Philadelphia, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Again, it's earth dwellers, and he's going to keep us from that. And some people say, well, that means we're going to be protected through it. How can that be when the Antichrist in Revelation is given total authority over the elect? The elect in the tribulation period is the Jewish nation and tribulation saints, people that get saved after the rapture. But if it were Christians, 
You would be beheaded for your faith. You would, you would, have, you would die when the meteor hit the earth. You would be experiencing God's wrath. Jesus told us in, in Luke 17, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things. The context is the tribulation period. Pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things. Why would he tell us to pray to be counted worthy to escape if we couldn't escape? What does it mean to be worthy, by the way? How are you going to be worthy to escape? It means you've got to be ready. That brings us to our text. It means we have to be ready. L listen to what Jesus says. Let's pick it up in verse 35. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourself be like a man who waits for his master when he returns from a wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So he's saying a man leaves for a wedding. He's going to come back at a time that, no, that the servants don't know. So they get themselves all ready so that when the master walks up to the door, they're opening up. I've been waiting for you. Come on in. So Jesus says to gird your waist. What does that mean? In their day, everybody wore robes, right? Women and men wore robes. And you had a belt that you wore. And when you were working, you grabbed your robe and you pulled it up and you tucked it into your belt and it turned them into shorts. Puffy shorts, but styly, you know? So you would tuck it in and you'd go out and you'd work in the field. So he's saying, don't be walking around with your robe down. Tuck it into your belt. Get girded. Be ready. And have a lamp burning. And this reminds us of Jesus talking about having oil for your lamp, which is walking in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, so that you got your, your robe girded and you got your, your lamp and Jesus comes back and you're like, I was waiting for you and you came back while I was waiting. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us going, oh no, can't believe I was doing that. He doesn't want things going on in our lives that we shouldn't do. He wants us to be delighting in God so that he'll give us the desires of our heart, abiding in Christ so we can have whatever we ask, walking in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, so many people today, even Christians, are delighting in carnality. They're delighting in the sensualness of this world. They're delighting in the things of this world and they're reaping from it because they're delighting in it. But the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. Are you delighting in God, knowing him more, loving him more? Are you abiding in him and his word abiding in you so you can ask what you desire so your desires become godly? That's what Jesus is saying. Be like the person that's all ready for a master. So when, when Jesus returns, you're like, I've been waiting for you. I've been ready and I've been waiting. He goes on in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, finds them watching. Assuredly, I say to you, they will gird himself and have them set uh, down to eat and will serve them. God will serve us. I, I, that's the marriage supper of the lamb, I believe. Jesus served the disciples by getting up and washing their feet. And God's going to serve us. And I think when God serves us, even in the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to be like, let us do it for you, God, please. This is awkward. We should be serving you, but you're going to serve us? Amazing. But did you notice there at the end of verse 37 or the middle of it, he says, blessed is he who the master, when he comes, finds him watching. Not only are you supposed to wait, ready, girded and lamp, but you're also to watch. What are you supposed to watch? The world around you. Jesus criticized the Pharisees. You know the weather. You can determine the weather, but you can't, but you don't know the signs of your times. Israel was not a nation for almost 2,000 years. 
The Bible said that they would be a nation in the last days. They became a nation in 1948. The, the Bible says that in the last days, God will bring them back from all over the world, from the north, the south, the east and west, and will bring them back into the land of Israel. In the early 1900s, there was a few thousand Jews in Israel. Today, there are six million Jews in Israel. Jesus himself, Jesus the prophet said, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So there's this time of the Gentiles and it's fulfilled when Jerusalem is controlled by Israel. In 1967, Israel took control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2000 years since it was taken from them by the Romans. They took control of it in 1967, but they gave back the Temple Mount. But something's been happening lately. Do you guys know this? Something's been happening on the Temple Mount. The temple will be rebuilt there because we know that the Antichrist sets himself up as God on the temple mount and stops sacrifices. But you know what's happening today? For the first time since the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, Jews are going up on the temple mount and praying. There's a, there's a look the other way policy in Israel right now. And the Palestinians aren't doing anything. You would expect the first time the Jews went up on the temple mount to pray that they would have come unglued. If you've ever been to Israel, you've ever been up on top of the Temple Mount. Now, I'm not talking about the, 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 the West Wall, the Wailing Wall. That's a retaining wall for the Temple. The Temple was far above it on top. And you can go to Israel and you can go to the Wailing Wall or you can go up a ramp and you can go on top where the Temple was in those days. And you can see that for yourself. And if you've ever been up there, you're followed around by people who, and they'll tell women, you, you, need to, you need to cover up your waist. You need to put on something on your shoulders. And if you start, and they listen to the guides, and if the guides start to talk about Jesus or something, or, or, or the Bible, then they'll come and they'll, they'll make a stink about it. And last time I was there, our guide was like, I wish we didn't have to go up here. It's such a hassle to go up here. Now Jews are going up on the temple and praying. This is, a, this is a real step. The Euphrates River's drying up. Jews are praying on the Temple Mount. Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Watch and see. Is there anything else going on in the world today that would make you think that this could be the end? He said that wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and raging of seas will all be like birth pains. They're going to be getting worse and worse and worse as, things, as, as the end of the world comes along. Are you watching? Are you aware that the world is, is fulfilling the, what the Bible says will happen in the last days. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's a war. And there's a coalition of nations, huge coalition, that come against the nation of Israel, and Israel wins. This coalition of nations today is made up, every one of them now hate Israel. Libya's in there. The Sudan is in there. Iran is in there. Russia's in there. Turkey's in there. All of them are sworn enemies of Israel. And the other places that are mentioned in there as well are enemies of Israel. Telling me that just so happened? The Bible says all of these nations are going to come in against Israel. And today you look out and all of these nations hate Israel. We're watching. We should be. And going, this war of Gog and Magog may happen sooner than we think because it's coming into place now. And Jesus says, blessed are those who, who are ready and blessed are those who are watching. Are you waiting? Are you watching? Are you looking around you? Are you just kind of going, well, I'm going to live for Jesus today, not really worry about his return? He says, we need to watch. And then he says, assuredly, I say to you, 
Uh, well, then it talks about him serving them. Then in verse 38, and how do you get from the place where you're watching and waiting to God serving you? The rapture of the church. The church gets taken up into his presence and now there's the marriage supper of the lamb and he's serving us. So then it says in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. He's saying if somehow you knew that the thief was going to come at two in the morning, like they've been, they've been casing your house and you've been noticing their car at two in the morning, you just figure they're going to break in at two. You'd be ready and waiting for them with your shotgun or if you don't have one, a baseball bat. <laughs> Get them when they come in the house. But you don't know when Jesus is coming back. So you need to be ready all the time. If you knew that there's a thief coming to your house, he's going to come to your house sooner or later. You'd have to be ready all the time. You'd be exhausted or you'd do it in shifts. But that's what Jesus is saying. You need to be ready because you don't know when he's coming back. If it was in the tribulation period, if it was at the end of the tribulation period, we would know it. We'd go flesh is rare. The abomination of desolation has taken place. All the things Revelation said has happened. Jesus has got to come back now. Men would not be marrying and giving in marriage and all the things the Bible says would be happening during that time. Now, Peter says to him, Peter's confused and no, no, no <laughs> surprise. So Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak to this parable to us only or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household and give the portion of the food in due season? Blessed is the servant who the master will find him so doing when he comes. So he's saying, whoever it is, be faithful when he returns and he's going he's to bless him. Verse 44, truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, that master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And on that hour, he will not be aware and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbeliever. Now, he's saying, listen, if you say I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but you're beating male and female servants, you're get, getting drunk and, and, and not living for Jesus, then you are not really a genuine Christian. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be able to go into heaven because he doesn't know him. He says, even people who do miracles in my name, I'm going to stay away from me. I never knew you. And then there's tares and wheat. You are, you are not a Christian just because you go to church. You are not a Christian just because you have Christian parents. You have to be born again. Each individual has to be translated and born again. And he says, I'm going to uh, cut their part. I'm going to give them the part with the unbeliever. Now, before we get to verse 47, I missed a verse here. I want to go back and catch. Okay? I'm sure some of you guys know I missed it. It's in verse 37. Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, may find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and sit down and eat when he comes. In verse 38. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find him so, blessed are those servants. So in other words, hey, we don't know. Could be the first watch or the second watch. The, the third watch was the last watch of the night before morning. So Jesus could, it's been 2,000 years. And there are scoffers today who say, you really believe in the rapture? Do you believe Jesus is coming back after 2,000 years? 
Yeah, to God, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Yes, I do believe that. There are scoffers that will arise. Well, the Bible says in the last days, scoffers are going to arise. So if you're a scoffer, you're fulfilling prophecy. Not the way you want to. Stop being a scoffer. Because Jesus is going to come back again. But it says scoffers will arise in the last days. And we have many scoffers today. So let's go back down to our text. I just wanted to cover that passage because I skipped over it. So then in verse 47, it says, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do the will will be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes will be beaten with few. Let's take just a few minutes to think about what he's saying. He's talking about coming in judgment and he's going to judge the world. And there are going to be some servants who know, but they're not doing it. And he says that that servant's going to be beaten with many stripes. We're talking about hell here. We're talking about giving a part with the unbelievers, which is what he says in verse uh, 36. They will be given a part with the unbelievers and because they knew they will be beaten with many stripes. This means if you are in a position of light and you know, then follow the Lord. Don't walk away from him. But the interesting thing is what he says next. When he says, uh, and the servant, but, verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. People will ask me, what about those who never heard? What, what about that uh, villager somewhere who's never heard the gospel? Well, a couple of things. Number one, Romans tells us that God has given, the evidence, given them the evidence of creation. We know that there's a creator because we see creation. Number two, he's put inside of us all an internal evidence. This is every person ever born. So that person that's never heard the name of Jesus knows there's a God by creation and understands there's a God because it's inside of him. And I'm going to take it if he acts positively to the light that he has. And, and we'll talk about this. And I want to do a whole sermon just on, on those who never heard. We have Abraham who never hears the name of Jesus. Yet in, in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, he believes God and it's accounted to him righteousness. He's saved, accredited by the blood of Jesus on the cross. I'm not saying anyone is saved without the blood of Jesus. I'm simply saying like children that are of a young age, the age of accountability, the person that's never heard could react positively to the light. How many will do that? Will there be any who do that? I don't know, but God knows. But if they are saved, they will be saved by Jesus. But also, and I, I want to do a teaching on hell. I got all these teachings I want to do. I want to do a teaching on hell pretty soon because I do want to talk about, there, there are people trying to get rid of hell today, but there are a lot of people that, that teach hell wrong. They don't teach a biblical hell. They teach like the middle age hell. They teach like Danto's inferno hell. They teach the Greek Hades that oversees hell while people are being tormented. I'm not saying people aren't tormented. I'm not saying that hell isn't eternal. I'm saying not everybody's treated the same. Some will be beaten with few stripes. We have to rethink our thoughts on hell. Because I hear people say, well, no, your grandma died. And because she was ungodly, she's, she's having her skin filleted for all of eternity. They're burning out her eyes for all of eternity. And I'm saying, God's going to treat your grandma different than he treats Hitler. There, there will, God doesn't treat everybody the same. Not in heaven and not in hell. Not everybody will be treated the same. Johnny Cash said in a song called When the Man Comes Along. 
Everybody will be treated differently. And I, I don't have time to develop all of that now, but I will soon. Before we get out of Luke, I will do an entire teaching on hell. And we'll look at this whole concept of what it means to be beaten with few, what it means to be beaten with many. Then he says, um, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So if you've received light from God, then God expects us to live in the light that we've received and God will hold us accountable for the light that we have. So we have to get ready and stay ready and be waiting when Jesus returns. The last thing we want is to have something embarrassing happening. The last thing we want is that we might have some sin that we haven't repented from that we've got going on in our lives. That when Jesus returns, we're involved in that sin. I don't believe in a partial rapture. I don't believe that some are gonna be left behind and some are gonna be taken later because they were in sin. If you're a genuine Christian and you're sinning when he comes, you're telling a lie, <laughs> then you're, you're like bad timing. If I could have told the lie five minutes earlier, I'd have been fine. But now I tell the lie, Jesus leaves me behind. No, you're his. You belong to him. You'll go in the rapture. It'll just be embarrassing when it happens. It'll be like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. When you're suddenly standing in front of him. Instead, delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. When you're no longer delighting in worldly things, then you're desiring worldly things. When you delight in the Lord, you desire godly things and he can, he can give you those things. When you abide in Christ and his word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be given to you. That's the New Testament equivalent to delight yourself in the Lord. Then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All of these are ways that we are ready. We walk in the spirit and we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control as the outcome of our lives. And we are living and people can see us as we prepare and wait for our Lord to return to us from heaven for we will not go into that tribulation period. That is a time of God judging people who are on the earth. May we make sure we're ready. Some of you aren't ready. Some of you aren't genuine Christians. You think you are. You go to church. Yeah, I'm here on Sunday morning. What do you mean I'm not a Christian? The Bible says when Adam and Eve ate the fruit on the day they ate it, they died. They didn't die physically when they ate it. They died physically later, but they died spiritually the moment they ate it. And every person that's been born since then is born with a dormant or a dead spirit. And when you come to Christ, your spirit is brought to life. You are born again. So the Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. Those who are born of the flesh are flesh and those who are born of the spirit are spirit. So this could be your day of glory. This could be the day that God set aside since before the foundations of the world that you said, I want you in my life. And if you're here and you're young, discover what God has for you. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. Save your life while you're young and live for God while you're young. Allow God to develop and do things with you. And if you say, well, I'm older, what is it, good is it for me to give my life to the Lord? Well, our God is the God who restores the years the locusts have eaten, the Bible says. So God can do very, a lot in a very short amount of time, no matter how old you are. Give your life to Christ and allow him to use you as we wait for his son to return for us from heaven. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the encouragement of Jesus to get ready, to stay ready, to be ready and be watching. Forgive us when we're not. 
Lord, I pray for those that are here that are struggling with some kind of a sin in their lives, some unrepented sin. They're sowing to the things of this world. They're, they're delighting in the sensuality of this world. And I pray, Lord, that they would turn from those things and live for you, delighting in you and the things to come. Lord, we also pray that you would help us to be able to make the right decision. I pray for those that don't know you today, that you would give them boldness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.